Welcome to the Green Feathers Gridiron Podcast, where we tackle the NFL's biggest headlines, break down games, and explore league topics, all through the passionate perspective of a Philadelphia Eagles fan. Get ready for insightful analysis, player spotlights, and more. Whether you bleed green or cheer for another team, I've got your NFL fix right here. So join me. The Green Feathers Gridiron Podcast starts now. Welcome on in, football fans. I'm your host, Brian Booth, and welcome to the Green Feathers Gridiron Podcast. This is our initial episode, so I appreciate you joining me. Today is going to be a little bit different of a show than probably our normal layout will end up being. Since this is our first episode, I would like to introduce myself to you as more of a person and as a fan. I grew up myself in a suburb of Salt Lake City, Utah, and uh, didn't really have a fan base growing up to belong to. Actually didn't even like sports all that much until I got to be a little bit older during my childhood. So I played a lot of basketball, a lot of baseball, but never really watched sports on TV until I got to about the 7th or 8th grade and started kind of getting more into football. Uh, during those years, my oldest brother, he was a BYU fan and a 49ers fan because at the time, Steve Young, who had gone to BYU, was playing for the San Francisco 49ers. And then kind of his second favorite team was the Philadelphia Eagles because they had Ty Detmer, who also went to BYU. So being that my brother kind of taught me the rules of football, kind of taught me what, what football was all about. I kind of just followed along with what he did growing up. And so in that same vein, I would introduce myself or I would say that I was a 49ers fan, number one, and then an Eagles fan, number two. But as time went on and uh, I started to grow up a little more, started to become more interested in the game of football, decided uh, in my high school years that I wanted to actually join the football team at the high school Kind of in conjunction with that, I started watching a lot more football games, both pro and college. This would have been in the early 2000s, and I remember watching Donovan McNabb play with the Eagles. And at this point, I kind of was still, okay, 49ers number one, Eagles number two. But because of that, I found myself really intrigued with how Donovan McNabb played the game. I just thought he was so exciting to watch. I know Randall Cunningham kind of pioneered the way of the the mobile quarterback, but at that time, Donovan McNabb really took that to the next level. This was in the few years before Michael Vick really had entered the league. Watching these games, I, I actually found myself looking for nationally televised Eagles games because I wanted to see how McNabb would end up playing that week. And I know Philadelphia natives and and longtime hardcore Eagles fans. Well, let's just say they kind of have a a colorful history with Donovan McNabb, but he was always one of my favorite players. And maybe because I didn't grow up in in Philadelphia, and maybe that didn't color my perspective on that. Anyway, as time went on, again, like I said, I was finding myself trying to watch more and more Philadelphia Eagles games. And one year, the Philadelphia Eagles were playing the Green Bay Packers in the playoffs. And they were down three. I remember this very vividly. They were down three, getting into the late fourth quarter. And I think there was a sack and a penalty. And 
maybe another sack, but it comes down to fourth down and 26. And I was just, I just remember being on the edge of my seat, man. And I was so nervous. And they, uh, they snapped the ball and McNabb kind of sits back for a second or two, throws the ball over the middle, gets it right at the 26 yard line marker and, uh, and converts the fourth down. And I about lost my mind. I was cheering and screaming at the top of my lungs and uh, it was kind of late at night and my parents were trying to get ready for bed and kind of woke them up. So they were yelling at me and I couldn't even hear I was yelling so loud. But uh, ever since that, ever since that time, man, I've, I've been bleeding green and been a diehard Eagles fan ever since. So, you know, over 20 years, been watching the birds and I love them to this day, probably love them more with each, each passing season, have quite the bit of a uh, autographed memorabilia collection hanging up here on my wall behind me i have four autographed eagles jerseys jalen hurts donovan mcnab deshaun jackson and even uh vince papali from uh, as i'm sure many of you are aware the the invincible movie he was the the main focus of that movie and i, I just love his story man and beyond just the movie you know watching old documentaries and and uh old highlights of him playing i just love the energy that he brought to the team and admire his toughness and his perseverance and not giving up when things got hard. So love that about him. So he's up on the wall too. Some other autographed memorabilia I have. I have a uh, Brian Dawkins autographed mini uh, helmet, as well as a LaShawn McCoy autographed mini helmet. So Eagles Hall of Fame safety and the Eagles all-time leading rusher. Two great players I remember growing up with and and watching for a long time. I also have a uh, Brandon Graham autographed picture of him sacking Tom Brady in Super Bowl 52. Of course, you got to have that. Uh, pretty much won us the game. As well as a uh, Carson Wentz autographed picture. Say what you will. I know things didn't really end well for Carson and Philly, but you know I, I will maintain till the day I die that we as a team, do not win Super Bowl 52 without Carson on the team. So he, he's up on the wall and mad respect for him for what he was able to do. And hopefully he is able to find another team and, and is able to play as a backup somewhere for however long he his body is able to, to hold out. And then uh, lastly, probably one of my favorite pieces of memorabilia I have in my collection is uh, I've got some game-used Super Bowl confetti and a plaque from Super Bowl 52. It's great, man. That was probably the piece that really started my uh, collection here. That was one of my Father's Day presents from, I think it was probably about three or four years ago now. It was. It had been a year or two since the Super Bowl, and I'd been watching these plaques with the Super Bowl confetti on the Philadelphia Eagles uh, team store online. You know, they were they were always really expensive. I think they were like 80 or 90 bucks at the time. During those years, didn't have a ton of extra money around to, to spend on, on some of these kinds of things, but there was a, uh, I believe it was a Memorial Day sale on the website and it the thing i think they were trying to clear it out on clearance and it was like 35 or 40 percent off so i ended up getting it for a pretty decent price so hopped onto that and anyway like i said it's one of my favorite pieces of, of memorabilia that i have anyway love watching the team love watching the players love watching uh stories develop in in training camp as guys are trying to earn their spots on the team 
hopeful for for this season. Obviously, losing the Super Bowl last year to say it left a bitter taste in my mouth is an understatement. You know, it was everything I could do not to not to cry myself to sleep as my eight year old son was hugging me that night and and just you know crying himself to sleep. It was it was a rough night for sure, but. It was a great game. Mad respect to the Chiefs. They didn't make any mistakes, and, and the Eagles made way too many. You know, I, And I'm not going to make any excuses about the field because it, it really wasn't the field that, uh, that cost us that game. But mental mistakes that obviously Jalen Hurts had the fumble. The punt team couldn't cover a punt to save their life. The defense couldn't make a stop. Way too many mistakes in the game. But looking forward to finishing the job this year hopefully and and uh, ready to get things going starting on Sunday. So that's a little bit about me as a as a fan. What this podcast I expect it to be going forward, you know, obviously being a Philadelphia Eagles fan, everything is going to be through that lens, man. We're going to talk a lot about Philadelphia games, Philadelphia stories and headlines, but also things going on around the league. This isn't going to be solely an Eagles focused podcast. We're going to talk about everything. So uh, in that vein, I would like to say uh, rest in peace to Mike Williams, former Bucks receiver. Died in an accident today at a construction site. Apparently something fell on his head and uh, he was severely injured and passed away due to those injuries. So thoughts and prayers out to his family. My condolences. Rest in peace, Mike Williams. Coming back to uh, some Eagles happenings today. I... Uh, <laughs> The, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles released their official week one depth chart. Needless to say, there was some, some interesting some interesting things here with the, with the depth chart. Number one, there was no punter and no holder listed on the depth chart. Obviously, the Eagles released punter Aaron Sipos earlier this offseason, brought him back on the practice squad. He will likely be a game day elevation from the practice squad to come punt and hold. I That's what I would expect. A little disappointing being that in Sipos's couple of years here in Philly, he's, let's just say he's been inconsistent at best. Really am surprised with the, the other players that they brought in to punt for them earlier last week with the Eagles bringing in a couple other players to punt or to try out for the punter position surprised that they hadn't hadn't taken advantage or or hadn't signed someone new to that punter position it just seems like with the guys they brought in that I mean you look at their stats as compared to Aaron Sipos last week and they were all three of them much better than what what Sipos was was doing but I know our kicker, Jake Elliott, likes how he holds the ball for his kicks, and I guess there is something to be said about that, but it just just seems like a poor excuse to, to not find a better alternative. So other interesting things that that came onto this or came out of this this uh, depth chart was that all four Eagles running backs, the four that have been here all summer, uh, all four of them were listed as, you know, starting running backs. So Rashad Penny, Kenneth Gainwell, Boston Scott, DeAndre Swift, all four of them were all listed as starting running back. Coach Sirianni had a, uh, a press conference today, and he kind of addressed these two things in, in one joint statement. He said, I think anytime there's unknown, that's an advantage. 
So I always think that's why we were very vanilla in the preseason. We didn't want to show a lot of different things that we plan on doing during the season. Just like a first-year staff, we've got a first-year coordinator here with the Eagles. I think that's an advantage. I mean, I really respect Coach Sirianni, but I, I get where he's coming from. But on the flip side of that coin, is it really an unknown or, you know, is it an unknown to the other team or is it an unknown to the other team because you as a team don't know? And that's kind of where I'm a little worried. You know, like I said, we had three other players in for punting duties and didn't sign anybody. Don't know if they just didn't impress or if it was just to try and motivate Aaron Sipos to try and do better. I guess that could have been it. But, you know, again, I understand kind of the mental warfare going on here, but it it just worries me that, okay, is it just the fog of war here that we're trying to not show our hand or do we just not know? So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. The Eagles can bring Aaron Sipos up from the practice squad up to three times uh, before he will either need to be cut or be moved to the full-time active roster, which in all honesty, that's probably what I would suspect will happen at some point as uh, the season goes on and, and other players get put on IR, and that'll open up a roster spot on the full 53-man roster. So unless something drastic happens within the next uh, couple of weeks, that, that would be my prediction as to what happens with that. Another interesting thing with the, the depth chart, and this will be my last point here, Britton Covey was not listed as a punt returner. Now, I know he's had some hamstring issues that he's been dealing with all summer, you know, and, and this might go to the same point with as with Aaron Sipos is that, you know, he may just be a game day activation to the active roster uh, as a punt returner. But they did list Alameda Zacchaeus and Quez Watkins uh, was the backup punt returner. Uh, and then Boston Scott as the as the main kick returner for kickoff. So interesting to see kind of how they've formatted this. Maybe part of it is Britton Covey's hamstring still giving him problems. Uh, I know hamstring injuries can linger sometimes. So you know maybe he's maybe he's really not ready. But the team liked what they saw in him for some reason last year. Personally, I thought he could have could have done more. Obviously, sometimes the blocking wasn't great last year, but, you know, for what we saw from his time at Utah to what we saw versus his time with the team last year, uh, wasn't wasn't super impressed. So hopefully the uh, the hamstring gets better and he can prove me wrong and and uh, make this team and, and be a contributing factor. So obviously we've got the first game of the season coming up. Uh, as of this recording, it is Tuesday night, the day after Labor Day, Thursday night for the first game of the year. Should be a really interesting game, and uh, probably more of an interesting game than I was originally expecting it to be, just because, uh, you know, with the news out of Chiefs practice today, Travis Kelsey hyperextended his knee. Doesn't look, based on the reports that I've seen, that it's uh, it doesn't look like he's got any ACL damage, so looks like he's questionable to play on Thursday night. They're they're not sure. So, you know, if he plays, uh, definitely would be a player to watch. Let's see how how strong the knee is, if they give him any kind of pitch count and to see, you know, kind of limit how many snaps he sees, right? Can the knee hold up and how well can it hold up and for how long can it hold up? Or will they rest him, you know, for a couple of weeks, see if they can uh, 
make do without him. A couple other players to watch on the Chiefs this week beyond Travis Kelsey and, and his knee would be Kadarius Tony. I think it'll be interesting to see kind of how he can take the reins as maybe the number one guy. You know, Juju Smith-Schuster is no longer there. Obviously, Tyreek left last year. So without Tyreek, without Juju, without Kelsey, potentially, can he be the number one guy and can he carry the load for this team? Obviously, Patrick Mahomes is amazing. He can do things that few other guys in the league can. And uh, he's really effective at spreading the ball around. So if it's not uh, if it's not Tony, who's it going to be? That'll be an interesting storyline to follow as the game progresses. And then one other player on the Chiefs that I'm interested to see is Isaiah Pacheco. Obviously, he was a late-round pick last year, came on really strong in the postseason, had a fantastic Super Bowl. But can he continue to be a number one back in this league? Can he carry the load? Can he take pressure off of Patrick Mahomes, keep the ball away from the Lions? In the same breath, uh, players to watch on the Lions for this game, Jameer Gibbs. Obviously, the Lions got rid of DeAndre Swift. He's now with the Eagles. Uh, but also Jamal Williams is gone. He was the, the league's number one uh, rushing touchdown leader a season ago. So not having those two guys in the room, how can Jameer Gibbs step up and essentially play keep away from the Chiefs and, and uh, Patrick Mahomes? So it'll be, it'll be an interesting game of ball control, I think, between the two sides. And also interested to see kind of how Aiden Hutchison in his second year is able to progress as a pass rusher. You know, he was able to wreck games at times last year, but sometimes Patrick Mahomes can be a slippery eel out there in the backfield. He's really hard to bring down. Even when he's limping around with a hurt ankle, he still finds a way to get away and complete a pass down the field and keep the chains moving. So I think that'll be an interesting matchup to see how does Aiden Hutchinson will be getting to the quarterback. And then finally, interested in seeing kind of how Jared Goff plays. Obviously, his uh, initial time in, in Detroit was not great. Let's just be honest. It was not great. But uh, started to come back strong, especially towards the end of last year. The Lions barely missed out on the playoffs due to some tiebreakers. Interesting to see if, if he can kind of get back to form from where he was during his uh, early Sean McVay days with the Rams. We all remember the Chiefs-Rams game on Monday night a few seasons ago where both teams were scoring into the 50s. The guy can play. He's had some rough patches for sure. Not going to deny that. But the dude can play ball. He can sling it with, with some of the, the best quarterbacks in the league. And I think he just needs to be able to have the right people around him. And not just players, but I'm, I'm more specifically talking coaches. Dan Campbell believes in him. The players around him in Detroit believe in him. And uh, I think if they didn't, they would have gotten a quarterback. But like I said, they, they ended the season strong. And had he not had that strong of a season last year, especially at the end, I think they would have. But I think he put enough good tape out there to make a case that, yeah, he does belong as a starting quarterback in this league. And he'll win you games, man. He, he can distribute the ball. Amon Ross St. Brown is no joke. He can absolutely destroy you downfield if you, if you aren't careful. One other thing I want to talk about, and this is probably going to be a continuing mainstay of the show. Uh, personally, I like Reddit, and it's always interesting to see kind of what topics get discussed. And this is a, this is a topic that I found today on r slash NFL. A topic talks about timeouts specifically, and it says... 
Timeouts are granted after refs acknowledge them. Why don't they allow coaches to press a button on a device to call timeouts? And then underneath it says, We have all seen refs slow to acknowledge timeouts, which leads to precious seconds wasted and hurt the team you support. This is a $10 billion business, and they need to do better. Technology is there to help refs, not replace them. I got to disagree with this uh, with this Reddit poster a little bit. Personally, and this is anecdotally in, you know, in my experience, I cannot remember the last time that a ref didn't acknowledge a timeout in a reasonable amount of time. I just, I'm sure I've seen it. I just can't remember the last time it was. I don't feel personally that this is a huge issue that's going to be costing teams games. Really, in all honesty, in my experience, it's more its more on the coaches to manage the clock. You know, you got to be aware of where you're at on the field, where the clock is at, and, and where your timeouts, you know, how many timeouts you have left. I mean, as a coach, it's your responsibility. If you're in a situation where you're going to need to call a timeout soon, gosh dang, you should be standing right next to a referee ready to call timeout. Shout timeout to the, to the heavens if you need to. You look at uh, Nathaniel Hackett last year, the first week of the season against the Seahawks. I mean, would a timeout device have really helped him? I mean, the guy stood there for how long before finally deciding to call a timeout? I don't know, man. Just I don't know if it would have helped the situation. I think it goes back to the point of it's up to the coaches to manage the clock. You don't waste almost 40 seconds just to click a button with in, in the case of Nathaniel Hackett. And here's another problem. You know, how many times a day or a week, just as regular people, how many times do we misplace our cell phones or our keys or our wallet? And here we're expecting, a t- you know, a coach to remember where he placed a device to call timeout or vice versa, how many times have you been walking down the street or walking through your house or sitting down at work and either your leg or your butt pocket dials somebody? How do you avoid the pocket dial version of a timeout, right? Or personally, I speak with my hands a lot. So if I'm a coach and I'm holding on to the timeout clicker, what if I accidentally am talking to somebody and it doesn't even have to be talking to the refs maybe i'm talking to a player or or an assistant coach on the on the sidelines and it accidentally gets bumped and whoops there goes your timeout you burn a timeout like that i just to me i don't think it's necessary i think as a coach you're getting paid millions of dollars to be an adult if you need to be in a position to call a timeout you stand next to the ref or you run down the field. I've seen this before. Or you trust your quarterback or your players who are also able to call timeouts. By the way, that is in the rules. Players can call timeout. Trust your players that if you need to call a timeout, call the dang timeout. Don't wait for the refs to, to notice you if you aren't in a spot where you would need to call a timeout. Anyway. That's going to be it for me. A little bit shorter of an episode, I think, this week. But as things go on, we have more actual games to discuss. These episodes should get a little bit longer. We'll see you probably on Friday. We're going to discuss what actually happens in the in the Chiefs-Lions game. Going forward, just so everyone knows, kind of the format I'd, I would like to do is a show on Monday discussing Sunday's games and a show on 
Friday discussing both Monday night and Thursday night football. And then uh, we'll have a couple of games every week to discuss. One of those games, spoiler alert, is going to be the Eagles. <laughs> and then and then we'll obviously talk about a couple other games, you know, Monday night, Thursday night, Sunday night probably. And then, you know, like I said, if, if the Eagles are in one of those primetime slots, we'll pick a couple other games as well. Looking forward to uh, getting to know you guys. Please give us a follow, Green Feathers Gridiron Podcast. Follow us on your favorite podcast platforms and uh, join our Facebook group as well. Look forward to getting to know you guys and looking forward to this season. I want to extend my heartfelt gratitude to all you passionate football fans for joining me on the Green Feathers Gridiron Podcast. Your support and enthusiasm drive me to keep bringing you the best of NFL analysis and spirited discussions. A special thank you goes out to Josh Hansen, Spencer Myers, and KP Brown. If you've enjoyed our deep dives into the NFL action and headlines, please take a moment to show your love by rating and subscribing to the Green Feathers Gridiron podcast on your preferred podcast platforms. Your feedback and subscriptions mean the world to me. But wait, don't keep this podcast gold all to yourself. Share it with your friends and fellow football fans who crave the same insightful conversations that you do. Together, we can build a community of fans that live and breathe the NFL. So as we wrap up this episode, remember to rate, subscribe, and share. Your involvement is key to helping this podcast reach even more fans like you. And until next time, I will see you on the road to victory.